Hello everyone and welcome back to the Catholic Heart Podcast. This week's topic, Spiritual Works of Mercy. First and foremost, a second special thanks to Father Von Sloan of the St. Bartholomew Parish in Huizada, Minnesota for providing today's readings. Before we get started, let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed be the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. To instruct the ignorant is the first spiritual work of mercy. Ignorant may sound like a harsh word, but it is a harsh reality. What is not known or understood can hurt a person, not only physically or legally, but also spiritually. It is a matter of spiritual life or death. It is merciful to inform someone about the faith and assist them on the road to eternal salvation. A person may be uninformed for a variety of reasons, some in which are innocent, others are not. It may be youth or inexperience, or that the person is without one or both parents, teachers, schools, materials, or opportunity. One person may be uninformed because of laziness, narrow-mindedness, ignorance, deception, or misguidance. No matter the root cause, it is a work of mercy to inform the uninformed. Jesus is the master when it comes to instructing the ignorant. His heart was moved with compassion for the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 9.36 They did not have good teachers and they had not received sound instruction. He went to all their towns and villages, and he taught anywhere and everywhere. There were times that his disciples failed to understand when he would patiently take them aside to review and explain. Matthew 13, 36. Jesus also taught one-on-one, as when Mary sat at his feet to listen to him. Luke 10, 39. There was a miss that Jesus was always gentle when he instructed the ignorant. There were times when Jesus was exasperated with his disciples' lack of comprehension, and he scowled them, saying, You of little faith, Matthew 16, 18. Yet despite his frustration, he went on to inform their ignorance, Matthew 16, 9-12. There were other occasions when Jesus assertively and abrasively challenged the ignorant, particularly the scribes and Pharisees, whose ignorance was due to their own pride and arrogance, saying, Woe to you! Yet even in such heated conflict, he taught them about their shortcomings. There are numerous examples in the Bible of those who instructed the ignorant. Jacob instructed his twelve sons. Eli instructed young Samuel in the temple. And the prophet Nathan instructed David about his sins. In the New Testament, Peter instructed the Mosaic Law, and Paul mentored Barabbas. When an occasion arises to instruct, prayer comes first. Pray for the person before saying a word. Pray to the Holy Spirit for guidance as to how to best approach the person, what to teach and how to teach it. Consult sacred scripture because it is useful for teaching, for refutation, for correction and for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16 Then approach the person with sincere love and compassion, 
The goal is their spiritual welfare. Avoid being a know-it-all and never lord superior knowledge over another. Do not belittle or talk down. St. Paul advises, the spiritually informed are to be patient with the ill-informed. Romans 15.1 Be discreet. Exercise humility and gentleness. Become firm and forceful only when necessary, and do so with great care and restraint. For the well-being of the person being instructed remains the ultimate goal. To counsel the doubtful is a spiritual work of mercy. Doubt is a spiritual burden, and it is an act of mercy to offer counsel and help lighten the load. A person who is doubtful is uncertain, undecided, or confused about what to think or believe, unsettled or hesitant about a decision to be made, wavering about what to do next, or afraid. Counsel comes from the Latin word concilium, and it means to give advice help make a plan, develop a strategy, resolve a problem, or help make a decision. It requires prudence. The prefix con means with, which implies that counsel is done by two parties together in cooperative processes, rather than as a one-sided affair in which an expert provides the answer. As a spiritual work of mercy, it focuses on spiritual matters. It is not about the dinner menu or the right paint color, but rather values, beliefs, meaning, personal relationships, vocational choices, and the guiding principles for a decision. There are vastly different approaches to counsel. Worldly counsel asks, what would make you happy? What would be healthy or beneficial to you? Spiritual counsel asks, what is God's willingness? What is right and true? What is the ethical or moral thing to do? The Christian doubtful wants counsel from a person who is grounded in Jesus and the gospel, has a compassionate heart and a listening ear, is respectful, empathetic, honest, humble, gentle, open and wise, providing an opportunity for discussion, gives personal attention and constructive feedback, and offers new perspectives, alternatives, encouragement, and prayers. The doubtful do not want condescension, a rush job, a quick answer, or pat answers. A spiritual counselor prays for the doubt, seeks the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and intercedes with Mary, who is both the seat of wisdom and Our Lady of Good Counsel. Then, the counselor listens, explores the person's past experiences and present concerns, attempting to see things from the person's vantage point, and thoroughly discusses the issue, particularly the Christian call to virtue and holiness. Instead of providing the answer, a good spiritual counselor helps the person come to his or her own decision. Jesus encourages many who were doubtful throughout his ministry. Jesus encountered many who were doubtful throughout his ministry. The classic example is St. Thomas, who doubted the resurrection. Jesus appeared to him and showed him his wounds to strengthen his belief. John 20, 24 through 29. St. John the Baptist doubted that Jesus was truly the Messiah, and Jesus cited evidence to reassure him. 
Matthew 10, Matthew 11, 2-5. The disciples were confused about the parable of the sower, and Jesus called them aside to explain it to them. Matthew 13, 1-9, and 18-23. St. Peter doubted as he sank into the sea, so Jesus reached out his hand to help him up. Matthew 14, 31. A rich young man was confused about what is necessary for eternal life, and Jesus patiently explained what is needed. Matthew 19, 16-22 The disciples were terrified during a storm at sea, and with a mighty deed, Jesus calmed their fears. Mark 4, 35-41 Jesus had great compassion for the doubtful, and with mercy he helped them to achieve greater clarity. To admonish the sinner is one of the seven spiritual works of mercy, and like the other six, it is concerned with the spiritual well-being of another. To admonish someone is to warn about a fault, to correct wrongdoing, to scold, usually mildly, or to remind someone to do the right thing. This good work is extremely difficult and delicate. Most people dislike conflict. Few people welcome correction. It is only natural to be defensive. It is hard to speak up or how to effectively deliver the message. To admonish the sinner runs contrary to the modern trend not to be judgmental. We are told repeatedly that we should be accepting of others. Jesus loved people, but he did not accept their sins. Jesus judged constantly between good and evil, right and wrong, the truth and lies. He could tell the difference and refused to turn a blind eye to sin. As his followers, Christians must be judgmental as Jesus was. Honestly evaluate all that is happening. Affirm what is good and wholesome, but oppose what is wrong, misguided, harmful, or destructive. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' opening message was repent. Mark 1.15 It is an admonishment to all sinners. When the disciples panicked during the storm, Jesus asked with a reproving tone, Do you not yet have faith? Mark 4.40 When the disciples failed to pay attention or think intellectually, he chinned them, Are even you likewise without understanding? Mark 7.18 When the disciples tried to keep their children away from Jesus, he corrected them, Let the children come to me. Mark 10.14 When James and John asked for positions of importance. He reminded them about servant leadership. Mark 10, 35-45 Occasionally, Jesus intensified his admonishment, such as when Peter wrongfully advised him not to go to Jerusalem. It is a sin to go against God's will. And Jesus sternly rebuked him, Get behind me, Satan. Mark 8, 33 his admonishments were harshest and most direct with the religious leaders. He reprimanded them, you hypocrites, Mark 7, 6. And he confronted them with their sin, you disregard God's commandment, Mark 7, 8. While it is a spiritual good to admonish a sinner, it does not give license to unfold on someone. 
To bear wrongs patiently is one of the seven spiritual works of mercy, are directed outwards for the spiritual benefit of another person, such as to instruct, comfort, counsel, or admonish. This spiritual work is directed inwards for one's own spiritual belief. It is much like a virtue. Christians should have this quality and increase it. To bear a wrong patiently is not to agree with it. When it comes to wrong, we must not be silent or inactive in the face of injustice, submit to violence, remain in an abusive relationship. It is contrary to Jesus and the gospel to turn a blind eye to wrongdoing. Evil is to be oppressed and not tolerated. Nevertheless, life is unfair. Each of us has been wronged in some way. It may have been a long time ago, or it might have been lately. The damage is done. The offense has had negative effects and been harmful. The pain has persisted. Oftentimes, little or nothing can be done to fix it anymore. We are left to endure the hardships. Wrongs come in many ways. We may have been raised. We may have been resisted when doing good, treated harshly, cheated, slandered, lied about, falsely accused, handed a wrongful judgment, abandoned by a friend, persecuted, physically harmed, or permanently injured. Jesus knows our troubles. He was wronged in all these ways, and he bore the wrongs patiently. To bear a wrong is to carry a hardship. To do so patiently is to do so for the long haul, and Jesus shows us how to practice the spiritual work of mercy. Pray. It is impossible to carry serious wrongs on our own. God's help is necessary. Jesus went to Gethsemane to pray before he had to bear his most grievous wrong, and an angel from heaven. Jesus went to Gethsemane to pray before he had to bear his most grievous wrongs, and an angel from heaven was sent to help him. Luke 22:43. God will help us too. Say little or nothing. When Jesus stood before Pilate, he did not answer him one word. Matthew 27:14. Jesus bore wrong without a moan, complaint, angry outburst, or derogatory comment. If we hope to bear a wrong patiently, usually the best way is to do so silently. A sense of resolve. Jesus carried the cross himself. John 19:17. And he did so with fierce determination. It was his burden to carry, and he did so with tremendous grit and willpower. Love while burdened. As Jesus carried the cross, he was not preoccupied with himself and did not engage in self-pity. For Jesus, it was never, oh, poor me. Instead, as he poor, instead, as he bore his wrong, he reached out to the women of Jerusalem with love. Luke 23, 27-34 27-34 Compassion Jesus realized that the people who wronged him were flawed. They came from broken homes. They had poor role models. They did not receive moral training or were the victims of abuse themselves. Jesus observed, 
they know not what they do. Luke 23:34. Jesus did not lash out at the people who wronged him. He bore wrongs patiently as he granted them the benefit of the doubt. Do not return the evil for extended. Do not return evil for evil. Do not return evil for evil and extended forgiveness. Humor. The gospel did not say that Jesus had a good sense of humor, but reading between the lines, it is clear that Jesus was a man of joy and that he had a cheerful, bright, positive outlook. Humor breaks tension and lightens the load, and it helps a person to bear wrongs patiently. Another spiritual work of mercy is to comfort the sorrowful. It is also known as to comfort the afflicted. Sorrow is mental suffering when there is grief, sadness, or mourning. It is the deepest and most painful at the death of a loved one. Sorrow comes as the result of innumerable other things. Betrayal of a friend, the end of a valued relationship, unfair treatment, feeling alone, a disappointment or a failure, something regrettable that we have done, something mean or evil that has been done to us, a disability, or the losses associated with aging, just to name a few. When it comes to sorrow, Jesus truly has a compassionate heart. Jesus conducted a ministry of presence with those who were grieving death. He went to be with the mourners. When the widow of Nain lost her only son, he went to her and he was moved with pity for her. Luke 7.13 When the daughter of Jairus died. When the daughter of Jairus died, Jesus went to the home of her parents who were weeping and mourning. Luke 8.51 When Martha and Mary lost her When Martha and Mary lost their brother Lazarus, Jesus went to Bethany to be with them, and he wept with them. John 11.35 Jesus comforted countless others. Jesus comforted countless others who were sorrowful. When he encouraged a dejected woman who had been crippled for 18 years, he comforted her, saying, You are free of your infirmity. Luke 13.12 When the criminal pleaded for mercy, Jesus comforted him, saying, Today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23.43 And when the disciples were embarrassed about abandoning their master, Jesus comforted them, saying, Peace be with you. Luke 24.36 The role of a comforter does not belong only to Jesus, but also to the entire Trinity. God says, I will console and gladden them after their sorrows. The Spirit is comforted. Acts 9.31 The only one who brings the divine gifts of consolation and peace. God asks us to be angels of mercy. God asks us to be angels of mercy who bring comfort and sorrow. 
God asks us to be angels of mercy who bring comfort to the sorrowful. When there has been a death, consolation is extended through personal presence. Go in person, attend the Waker funeral, visit their home, offer a kind word, but be careful about what is said. While people have the best intentions, people do not know always what to say. If we do not know what to say, it is better to say nothing at all. Speak with gestures, smile, offer a hug, or give simple, sincere encouragement, like I love you, or I'm praying for you. And when you say I'm praying for you, truly do pray for them. People are sorrowful for many reasons, and we can be angels of consolation by listening. A comforter is totally present mentally and focuses completely on another trouble. A comforter is totally present mentally and focuses completely on another's troubles. It is best not to interrupt or change the subject. Ask follow-up questions, take time, be patient, treat them with reverence. Comfort can be extended in multiple other ways. A card, a phone call, an email, flowers, a little gift, a home-cooked meal, help on a task, compassion, or a prayer on their behalf. We are the face, the voice, and the love of God when we comfort the sorrowful. It is a spiritual work of mercy to pray for the living and the dead. These prayers make intercessions for the spiritual behalf. These prayers make intercessions for the spiritual benefit of another, for the living, that the person would receive a special grace or blessing, or for the dead, that the deceased person would be forgiven any remaining temporal punishment or sin, be aided along the journey to heaven, and be warmly welcomed by God, as well as the angels and saints, and take the dwelling place that has been prepared for them in the Father's house. Jesus prayed for the living as an act of mercy. Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail and that he would be able to strengthen his brothers. Luke 22:32. He also prayed for his disciples, asking his Father to keep them in your name that they may be the one. That they may be one. John 17:11. He also prayed, "Keep them from the evil one." John 17:15 Consecrate them in the truth John 17:17 17, 17. and I pray also for those who believe in me throughout the world John 17:20 Jesus prayed for his enemies from the cross when he asked his father forgive them they know not what they do they know not what they do Luke 23:34 Jesus was deeply concerned about the spiritual welfare of others and he prayed for their behalf. Jesus has left us an example as he has done and we should also do. It is The practice of praying for the living is firmly established in sacred scripture. Abraham prayed for the righteous in Sodom. 
And with that, this episode of The Catholic Heart has concluded. And before we end in prayer, I ask that you look for ways that you can become a better Catholic, loving and serving the Lord each and every day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed be the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.